0: Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden, future proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hey there, thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast. I'm Toby Milden and I'm really excited to be joined by Fazana Nayeni today, who is the author of a new book, The Power of Employee Resource Groups, How People Create Authentic Change. And I came across Fazana's book and um, I get a lot of questions from my clients about how to um, run effective employee resource groups, how to make sure those ERGs are sort of strategically aligned with the organization and the kind of decentralized plans that the senior leadership team are putting together. Um, how to make sure that, you know, people running those networks are are really empowered to deliver effective change in the organization and and to capitalize on all of those efforts. So this is a perfect book to have stumbled across when I was browsing Amazon for diversity and inclusion books. So before we get into the book, Fazana, it'd be really great if you could just share with us a bit more about your background and how you ended up working in this field and and writing because you this is not this isn't your only book is it you know you've written several other books as well
1: that's correct and toby so great to be here thank you for having me uh, so my journey as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant spans not only helping organizations like corporations and nonprofits and higher education institutions, but I also do work doing, uh, speaking engagements and coaching as well, helping advise individuals and groups as to how to be more inclusive and really cultivate belonging in the workplace and, and in their own lives. And you're right, I've written a couple of other books. The first book that I wrote is called Being All of Me, and it was done in partnership with a nonprofit called The Multiracial Americans of Southern California, where I live. And it really was focusing on how to support families and children of multiracial background. And actually, my publisher called North Atlantic Books saw that book and decided to do a, a longer version. And that's what came out. It's called Raising Multiracial Children that came out two years ago. And it's still going really strong. I'm really excited about that being top of mind for people. And during you know the return to home with school and and children being at home with parents, talking to kids about race was a big issue and still is. So now with the new book called The Power of Employee Research Groups that just came out uh, about a month ago, I'm seeing a lot of momentum around organizations uh, taking the mantle and really looking at how to cultivate that belonging, especially with all that's going on in the workplace and in the world today.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very much needed book. So um, first of all, thank you for writing it. I'm glad to, having written a book myself. I know it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So um, the first thing that you talk about in your book is, you know, getting started on the ERG journey and just actually for the benefit of the user I think we're going to use ERG quite often and when we say ERG we we are re- referring to employee resource groups which is very often the the acronym that we use for for these networks or groups. What is your advice in your book for organizations that are getting started on their ERG journey?
1: Well, I think something that's obvious is that um, you need to have people who are interested. But at the same time, sometimes we want to start groups because we believe in the cause. And I have to caution the organizations to be really aware of how many people you have. I personally worked with organizations that have thought of, you know, certain groups and don't want to overlook anyone, but they just haven't had the momentum to do it. So the first thing you need, which I recommend in the book, is at least five to seven people who are willing to be a part of the group. Ideally, you'd have an executive sponsor who's a leader. They don't have to be technically a full executive, but that's what they're called. So they could be a director level and above, ideally an executive to help mentor and advise the group. And you need to have the support from the organization, whether it be through budget or infrastructure, guidance, and also the time allocation where people can work on the group and and work within the group. So those are the key elements to just get started. And and as groups form, they often have charters. Charters are uh, a written living document that guides the group and doesn't change from year to year, but really is the the goal, the signposts, the stakes in the ground about where people are going with the group and, and what the purpose is.
0: That's cool. And, and what I like about that as well is it's it's really practical stuff. You know, a lot what you mentioned there is a lot of things that my clients ask me about in terms of best practice, and it is things about making sure that you've got an exec sponsor who can unlock things for the network, you know, remove any obstacles that the network might face. You know, managers actually giving people the time and space to get involved in the network, especially if you're in a in a client facing organization where maybe you you know you you're looking at your billable hours of people as well then making sure that you're freeing up time for people to work on on networks because you know networks are really important to developing the culture of an organization this is this is not a nice to have this is uh, you know this is actually a, a critical part to creating an inclusive culture for your business I really like in, in the kind of the second part of your book, it's called um, Transforming Organizations. The time is now. And I don't know about you, but I, I, talk, to, I talk to quite a few potential clients who say, oh, divesting inclusion is so important to our organization. But we're not, we're not going to start to do anything until like, you know, the, the next quarter or um, next year after we've done our annual strategy and our annual budgeting. What, why is the time now in, in your perspective?
1: As we look around, there are so many political events, global events, you know, we're, we're still in the pandemic, we keep thinking we're coming out of it. And then there's a new variant. Uh, We're learning about how to be better colleagues to each other during, you know, the ongoing need for racial justice. And there are health issues that are surfacing as a result of COVID. So, the need is now. There's the re- great resignation that is an ongoing issue with a lack of talent coming back to the workforce for various reasons, as well as you know competition for markets. So businesses are are having trouble staying relevant and need to pivot and expand and adapt. So with all of that, there's tremendous pressure on organizations to maintain and and keep their workforce. And employee research groups are a great way to not only engage people, but involve them, help them feel a sense of not only support, but community and belonging. And they really are uh, fostering a lot of responsiveness to tragedies, whether it be you know, uh, killings or shootings that we have here in the United States, unfortunately, uh, as well as you know specific issues like anti-Asian racism, which you know I'm personally affected by, being someone who's multi-ethnic, Filipino and Pakistani. So, given all of that, and and you know anti-blackness that that permeates through global society, we really need the employee research groups to support our our teams. We're seeing, you know, uh, a lot of issues uh, to do with the LGBTQ plus community and and rights and and inclusion for them. And we want to support groups. So we need to do that by gathering people, making sure we're aware of the causes and the issues and then finding out a way to support through action.
0: Absolutely. And you're right. You know, these issues are happening right now on our doorstep. Like you're in the US, I'm in the UK you know we're facing similar issues here in the UK as well and you know for people working in an organisation the, these issues are affecting them right now and it's really important that businesses take a stand and make sure that they're creating those inclusive work environments because you know one of the risks is that people are just going to leave your organisation if they just don't feel like they're included or they belong in your in your in your business so when when it comes to like forming and operating effective networks um you talk about the the five p's of effective functioning could you just walk us through what those five p's are
1: yes the five p's of ergs and you know i'm really excited to share this with the world through the book and as i do speaking engagements with organizations as we develop our ERGs, no matter what stage we're in, it's a good reminder. So the first P is purpose. Why are we uh, involved with the ERG? What is the ERG's purpose? So not only your personal purpose, but the group's purpose. So that's the first P. Uh, the second P has to do with people. Who are the key stakeholders involved? Who are the communities that we're serving? Are there external groups, internal groups that we need to be uh, in contact with and a part of? The third P has to do with processes. A lot of organizations and ERGs fail because we don't have processes in place. So we need to think about how we're passing on institutional knowledge and being mindful of uh, what it is that we need in terms of plans and processes. And that leads to the fourth P, which is planning. And we do that inherently in ERGs, but do we actually take a step back and think about how we can, you know, segment that into quarters or maybe plan for not only the year, but over a two-year span? And that leads to the last P, which is priorities, where I really encourage groups to take a look at what they have on the docket and think about not overloading themselves, especially now pacing themselves and making sure that we have time, uh, not only for, you know, recuperation and and rejuvenation, but also to spread the work around and make sure it's not just overloading the group uh, that's currently in in the positions at present. So there's a lot of uh, different aspects of this that I think can go a long way.
0: I love those five areas because they're, they're really practical as well. I think you and I have got a similar style. I think we're both very kind of Practical people—we just want to get stuff done. And uh, you know, having those those five Ps is a really practical framework to follow if anyone's running an ERG. So, I mean, what about organizational impact? Then, how how can organizations make sure that they're making the the biggest impact possible?
1: I have a section in the book that's on metrics and measurement, and organizations love to know how to measure the effectiveness of ERGs, what I like to say is that impact can look, you know, a number of different ways and organizations need to define that for themselves. So is it the number of employees involved? Is it retention? Is it promotions that you can track through the ERGs? Is it simply that there's a satisfaction survey that's done and people feel more okay at work? Those things are different areas of of attention and concern. I think a lot of the time we plan events with ERGs, and then once they're done, we sigh relief and then plan the next event. But we really need to look at what impact it's creating. And I have a model in the book that looks at the pillars within organizations, for example, workforce, the workplace itself, marketplace, community, and supplier diversity as some areas to look at. And by and large, I, I feel that many of the different initiatives that ERGs do fall in not only one, but definitely more than one. So I think pushing ourselves to realize that the goals and achievements are multifold and can intersect is is really a message in the book as well.
0: Absolutely. And I'm I'm glad that you've raised intersection or intersectionality because yeah, quite often like, I work with clients where they've got multiple networks. And um, I always encourage them to work closely together as much as possible, because you, know, you might have one network focusing on LGBTQ issues, and then you might have another network focusing on like women in technology, and then you might have an- another network looking at race and ethnicity. But actually, there's so much overlap, and we need to make sure that those networks operate effectively together. And share resources and share experiences and, you know, come up with joint plans as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, t- I talk about uh, collaboration amongst the groups, which is what you're you're touching upon. And I think that's a great way not only to conserve resources like time, money, effort, but to show solidarity amongst the different causes and groups and i think that is also related to the time is now because we can't work in silos in order to achieve you know the impact that we're looking for
0: absolutely and i know you talk about kind of building solidarity and 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 a community of belonging so what are some good ways that organizations can can do that
1: there are a number of different causes that that span uh multiple employee research groups so one i can think of is as I mentioned, uh, with the Black community and the Asian community, there are a number of different issues that both groups are facing. And rather than feeling like there's a competition over attention to these different matters, why not join together and do a panel on this or to look at how the communities are affected in totality? And that includes also the a Latinx community. An example I give also is uh, we've seen, for example, in the military, uh, how LGBTQ plus rights have been uh, challenged. And I've seen veterans ERGs who are in the military or former military be a part of you know movements to support LGBTQ plus people and vice versa. So, that is a great way to show not only solidarity, but some active engagement around issues that affect groups together. So, we can think about that. It's limitless, really, right, Toby, if we think about gender and and the different issues uh, that we're facing around our, our civil rights and how we can come together and support women professionals, or people returning to the workplace after parental leave, or even young professionals who are joining the workplace for the first time, or if we're talking about ability and disability, how those things come up with neurodiversity. So those are aspects of inclusion that really need uh, looking at uh, more closely, because sometimes they're overlooked, because, you know, we often look at a couple of the, the different groups uh, at the f- forefront.
0: Yeah, it's really important that networks work together. And I, I remember I watched a net, Netflix documentary about the the disability rights movement over in the States. It was in the 60s, I think. And what was really interesting was how disability rights advocates collaborated with the ethnicity rights movement as well and how kind of each community supported one another and how the how the black community supported disabled people to get more rights in the us and you know what they had learned from the 60s and and they had that really kind of collaborative approach and helped you know helped each other out which is which i thought was really cool i mean running running ergs in organizations isn't always plain sailing I you know at the top of the show, I mentioned like some of my clients, for example yeah it, they find managers don't always give people the the time to get engaged in networks um because you know there are other priorities, maybe uh you know that one of their k p i s is their billability with clients, and that takes precedent for example um I work with a lot of clients where there's a lot of kind of momentum at the beginning, and then things tend to kind of fizzle out. I mean, I know that you talk about this in one of your chapters in the book around all the best practices and pitfalls, but what's your advice around overcoming some of the the most common challenges uh, for ERGs that maybe the listener today could, could listen out for?
1: I like that we're talking about issues because I think that's the first step is identifying what the issues of attention are. And I believe that there's always a solution. So the example you give around billing and and time and and members of ERGs being challenged to have their you know their their hours up on on billing client facing work I've actually seen an ERG pledge time back to the organization so they have a set budget and then any time an employee resource group member or leader uh utilizes time towards the year G, then it kind of gets taken out to the bank and put back into the organization. So it's interesting that that was a solution, but they came up with it because they really needed to. And I've seen this with consulting organizations, let's say an architectural firm, you know, different, different types of client facing organizations do that, which I think is a creative process. Now, someone could say, well, shouldn't the organization just you know, comp all of that. Well, they can, but they still at the end of the day have metrics and calculations and we don't want the employee to be harmed or their department to be harmed, right? If they're not um, using their utilization to the to the maximum. So I thought that was a really great solution. There's also a ton of other solutions around, you know, how much time is being spent and who's doing what. So I've seen different leaders and organizations rotate responsibilities, maybe there are term limits or caps to who's doing what, and I think again, if we surface what those issues are, then they can be, uh, you know, dealt with and 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 you know have a have a solution around them. So it's a really great way to model having dialogue and and finding uh, a way forward together.
0: I think a lot of the time it's practical. It's about first of all just surfacing what the obstacle is. And then think about some really simple, tangible ways that we can overcome that. So, like your example of billable hours and actually just having a a budget of hours that the business can kind of reinvest in itself. It's actually a really simple, practical way that that particular organization overcame that particular challenge. It's, 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 It's pretty cool.
1: It is simple. And at the same time, I'm sure it took a lot of creative uh, influence in order to get the different parts of the organization to agree on this model. Because if you think about it, it affects so many different departments. So we really need that collaboration, that awareness and that key commitment from leaders that this is important. The executives need to understand, you know, why this dynamic is occurring. Someone's got to also do the the formulaic representation of the equation of the hours. So part of it is all the different stakeholders that need to be involved, which is one of the Ps in in the five Ps.
0: Exactly. So just before we wrap up, I really like the kind of penultimate chapter of your book, which is called um, ERGs as Opportunities cultivating creativity and growth and I thought that was neat because obviously this is the inclusive growth podcast and it's based on my book inclusive growth where I basically try and reframe diversity and inclusion to be an enabler of growth for organizations so I thought that was some quite neat synchronicity there between us what's your kind of thoughts around creativity and growth and in particular inclusive growth given given that's the title of this podcast
1: Absolutely. There, there are two parts to it. I I talk about in that chapter and, and throughout the book, you know, that ERGs are the sandbox of possibility. So it's where you can play and experiment and really have the creative juices flow with low risk, and support of the organization through many different uh, aspects of it. So that's one part of it. But I think inclusive growth really comes from within. I've seen how the journey of you know, personal development really mirrors an organization's inclusive development, and we really need to have both at the same time in order to have that ultimate success. So I really encourage people to not only identify the different parts of their identity uh, that are a part of being privileged or marginalized, but also how we can come together and build community as allies and members of each demographic.
0: Brilliant. Well... Farzana, thank you ever so much for joining me on the episode today. Before you go, if the person listening to us wants to get in touch with you, follow up with you, um, what should they do?
1: Um, Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, It's just my name, Farzana Nayani. I also have a new website launching called ergdynamics.com. And people there can sign up for our news. You actually get a free excerpt of my book if you sign up. So that's a a little goodie giveaway for people who join in. And stay tuned for more resources through that hub. It's going to be a a source of not only community, but different tools and and strategies for people to implement at their organizations.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Well, um, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, yeah, so if the person, listening to us today does want to follow up with you then yeah highly recommend connecting with you on LinkedIn and seeing the stuff that you put out on LinkedIn and um also going over to your to your website which is cool and of course stating the obvious is is actually to go and get your book um so the book is the power of employee resource groups how people create authentic change and it's available on Amazon as uh well paperback Kindle, and uh, audiobook as well, i believe so yeah we we've had a great conversation today, so we talked about you know why why there's an urgency for this in organizations and we we ran through the the five p's of effective functioning to really get it working well in an organization as well as the you know the the kind of looking at how we can create that organizational impact and how we can build that solidarity and that real, real sense of belonging for communities. Um, and then also just touching on some of the kind of the, the pitfalls and overcoming some of those challenges before really wrapping up and talking about how this is a great sandbox for creativity, growth, and um, to, to coin the phrase inclusive growth, given that's the the name of this podcast. So um, Farzana, thank you ever so much for for joining me today. Um, It's been great chatting with you.
1: Thank you, Toby, for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Brilliant. Um, And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. Um, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the podcast, which will be coming up very soon. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.